welcome to the Skeptic Wire. The Skeptic Wire, episode 53, on the 12th of April, 2012. We are beginning our second uh, season as Skeptic Wirers. Why, yes, we are, and we feel much, much older. Yeah, so for our... Unfortunately, we're not much wiser. <laughs> no. But we've gotten better about talking over each other. Have we? Yes. Not really. Sure there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they can see that at home. <laughs> That would be the middle finger. Um, so how's everybody doing this week? This <laughs> one one year after the official release of episode 001. <clears throat> yeah. Meh. Yeah. Yeah. As it's... you can see, we're, we're doing something quite special by <laughs> not doing anything uh, special. Well, okay. What is your favorite moment from the, from the past year? The Christmas episode. <laughs> Hands down, the Christmas episode. Because I think that was actually probably our most fun and laid back. Yeah, it was basically we had, we were pre-taping the the Christmas episode the week before. So we did two episodes in one night. So after we got through the first episode, we were just kind of tired and silly and said, screw it, we're going to have fun. Yep. A little gift to ourselves. Yeah. Uh, I think I think my favorite part, although also not quite my favorite part, was when uh, you and I were, or well, I was corpsing. I just uh, was about four, six episodes ago. Yes, over the word longitudinal. That would be number two. That would be my second. You know. <laughs> but I yeah, mean, we've I had some. Laugh. We've had yeah. some really great discussions as as a team. We've been to the Texas Free Thought Convention, the Reason Rally. You know. Um, we've got some really great listeners that keep commenting on our, our Facebook page. So, you know, they're the Thank ones that you. <laughs> encourage us all to keep doing this. Yar! And we enjoy meeting people at these conventions. I know I'm going to TAM. Um, I still don't know. <laughs> Donna, Donna might be going to TAM. Gary, you're yeah, just... Yeah, I, I never know. No. Depends, uh, on, depends on the, uh, the student loan and job situation at the time. <laughs> But at least one of us will be there, and we'll try to go to as many conventions as we can. And it's it's been really fun kind of growing the show and meeting listeners at these conventions. And Yeah, it still freaks me out when, you know, you say, oh, yeah, I'm with the Skeptic War. And they go, oh, I listened to that. Or, you know, oh, did, I've been meaning to, you know, it's in my, my TV listen list. Or, you know, all of these, like, little different statements. It's... I'm like, really? You listen to us? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's when I was at the Reason Rally, just you know, I meet some people at the line for food, and I introduce myself. Oh, I do a podcast out of San Antonio, and hand them a card, and then they would turn to me and say, "Oh, I already listened to you guys." And these were people who I'd never met before, had no idea who they were. So it's, that's never happened to me. <laughs> well, you need to get out more. <laughs> need to hand out more cards, Gary. Yeah, I just curl up in the ball when we're around the people I don't know. Stay quiet. 
different. They might poke and, me in the know, eye. And you know, and we've had some some good special guests. We've had uh, we've had Daryl Ray. Mm-hmm. Yar. Um, Amanda Kneef. Um, we had Fred Edwards. Fred Edwards. Roy Zimmerman. Daryl. And um, early on, we had Barry Lynn. That so was... yeah, I mean, we've had we've had some really interesting conversations. Apparently, this is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, we've also we we've you know kind of evolved. I mean, in our in our podcasting. I mean, we were originally a group of four. Hello, David. Hope you're doing well out there in the. Well, originally we were a group of three. Then we became four, four. and then became three again. Yes. But the listeners didn't hear that part, <clears throat> didn't they? Nope, because we never released an episode that was just the three guides. Oh, that's true. Our first episode was Donna's first experience with us. <laughs> so, you know, maybe season two will, you know, we've we've got a couple other things planned out, so hopefully it'll... Oh, we have stuff planned out? Kind of, sort of. What? Okay. We have, like, the next hour planned out. We don't even have the lightning round planned out. What are you talking about? She has plans. Uh-oh. <laughs> and you all seem to keep forgetting about the plans I have to murder you two in your sleep. Oh, we don't forget Then you them. won't have somebody babysit your dog. Might want to rethink that. So basically, one. <laughs> he's just talking to me. Yeah. <laughs> I have proven myself useful. <laughs> hmm. Anyway, <laughs> awkward silence. Okay. Well, uh, speaking of birthdays, <laughs> uh, what else we have besides uh, this this podcast, which is now one year old? Yes. Yes. So let's celebrate the fact that it's this many fingers, only one. So let's celebrate that. Can they that. even speak at one? Some kids do, but it's yeah. just a word here or there. Um, uh, or, or the parent Booze! Boobs? I said booze. booze. Oh. I, I was going for boobs. Like Yeah, suckle. I know. I, I, I heard that. Okay. <laughs> well, speaking of boobs... Who's celebrating a birthday today? Well, normally we record on Wednesdays, and yesterday, April 11th, was a Wednesday, and I was all set to talk about Anton LaVey, the founder of the Church of Satan, whose birthday is on the 11th. (laughs) But that was yesterday. It's the 12th. So we have so many possibilities to talk about this week. We have Claire Danes, Nicholas Brendan, Shannon Doherty, David Cassidy, Tom Clancy, Dave Letterman. David Cassidy, really? And, yep. And <laughs> O'Neill. Skeptical? How? Herbie Han- Hancock. They're all famous people, but the skeptical angle person who has a birthday, April twelfth, nineteen forty, San Antonio's own John Charles Hagee. Uh, I'd rather go back to Ed O'Neill. Oh, well, didn't he found the Church of Satan? (laughs) No, he founded a different church. He founded the Cornerstone Church. At at the, uh... Oh, damn, I was going to make a Life of Brian reference, but... The People's Front of Satan, (laughs) Tonio? 1940, John Hagee was born in Baytown, Texas. I don't know where I'm going with that one. Uh, Just hit the highlights, because really... I, I've met the man. I don't. Yeah. Now I have I have he, I have run across the campus of of Cornerstone Church. Uh, were you being chased? I was going to say, were you naked? Uh, not in a like, dress? No, not oh, in a dress. Damn it! Uh, but um, I, my point was the ground did not open and swallow me up, as far as anybody knows. 
Well, so you could just be a simulacra of the original Gary, is what you're be. saying. Exactly. Well, depending on your point of view, John Hagee probably should have been open. The the world should have opened up and swallowed him because he has had a divorce. <gasps> and that's, Mon Dieu. He was divorced in 1975 before Ronald Reagan made it cool. <laughs> well, there's some people. Or Newt New Gingrich. <laughs> well, there's some people who say that the reason why the Republicans don't make divorce a big issue is because Ronald Reagan was divorced. So now they, that's why they only focus on people like gay marriage or abortion or anything like that. And they don't talk about marriage, you know, divorce, which is supposed to no, be a they bad do. thing. They, they do. They're, they're trying to get all that stuff passed. Well. They just keep it on the down low. But we oh, – <laughs> they keep a lot of things on the down low. <laughs> Probably their Including gay their marriage. Including homosexuality. Yes. Um, but say – and their gay marriage. <laughs> So, um, exactly. John Hagee actually originally went to school um, for mechanical engineering, but then at some point decided to change his mind and got a... He diploma. found... It was probably too hard. <laughs> he, he found Jesus. He got all the way he to get He found that Jesus was a hell of a lot easier to study. He got all the way to a <laughs> master's degree. Oh, did he? Yeah. What a waste. Yep. Or maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I mean, any mechanical engineer that's going to pray over his his or her work is not a mechanical not, engineer I would like to hire not or drive a lot of across stuff the bridge. <laughs> anyway, continue. but in the mid '60s, he founded the Trinity Church in San Antonio. Um, ten years later, he divorced his first wife, and then the next year, he married his second wife, who was a parishioner of the that first church. Of course. So, is they, they, did they change it from the Trinity to the Quadrinity? Um, no, but the so he in a, so in 1975 he divorced, he divorced his first wife. Right, we in got that. April of 76 he married his second wife, and then in May of 70. Well, okay, this is weird. Or are we having a, a timey-wimey problem? Yes, it's a very timey-wimey <laughs> problem, because it's not done in order on Wikipedia. Fuck Wikipedia! Is um, it wibbly-wobbly? So in 75, he cha- he basically founded a different church from that Trinity church, the church, on, the church at Castle Hills, which eventually, because it got bigger and bigger, became the Cornerstone Church community. They just went and built a bigger church, but it was the same group of people. Except the wife. Except the first wife, yes. (laughs) Presumably. I have no idea what relationship he has with his first wife. There are many things that can be said about... Maybe she's the cornerstone. (laughs) (laughs) You've been watching too much Dexter. Um, (laughs) Creepy. There are many things... creepy. (laughs) ...controversial that can be said about John Hagee, his opinions on Israel and Jews and Catholics. His opinion on... Haiti, and that was... um, the shit for brains. The other shit for brains. Uh, the other Robertson? Shit for, uh, Pat Robertson? Yeah, Pat okay. Robertson. Yeah. You know what? Here's the thing. I can't keep them straight anymore. Just, they because, all say the same, same Yeah, they're same all big, one big happy big family. Eyes. But yeah, he, he also got, into, got John McCain to a bit of a heat in the 2008 election because of all his controversial comments and then he endorsed john mccain and then mccain had to go whoa whoa whoa, 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 whoa. hold on even bill even bill donahue was like what the fuck how dare you <laughs> you know uh but apparently john hagee and bill donahue have had a 
understanding now. He, he has apologized for all his anti-Catholic stuff. They're sort stuff. of like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones that before someone says a, something offensive, they make sure the other person isn't going to say something offensive first so that they're not uh, saying something offensive at the same time to draw attention away from the other person. Probably. Sure. <laughs> I did okay. not know that. Although I well, just no, think that... the Beatles and the Rolling Stones made sure that they didn't release albums at the same time. Oh, not I saying see. something offensive. Kind of like the movie studios not releasing big blockbusters all on the same weekend. Effectively, yeah. unless they want to make a statement or something. Yeah. yeah. Well. Yeah. All right. So that's well, uh, that's a... San Antonio, home yeah. of the. Fill in the blank. <laughs> Bible thumper John Hagee, born April 12th, 1940, I think it was. Yeah. So, happy birthday, Johnny. Happy birthday. And we have an upcoming birthday. Uh, something about the HMNS uh, Titanic? No. Actually, it is HMS, the what? Houston Museum of Natural Science um, has will be opening up their newest expansion. It's about a 30,000-foot expansion um, reg- uh, dealing with um, paleontology. Which um, is usually about floppy boobs. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. It's usually about dinosaurs. It's usually about dinosaurs, and they have... Uh, well, I don't know that dinosaurs had floppy boobs or not. <laughs> Just... Okay, moving on. All of our... I guess all of our Houston listeners should go out and check it out. The exhibit opens June 2nd. Congratulations to the Houston Museum of Natural Science. <laughs> Fuck you all. I hate you. Okay, okay that's uh, the reason why I'm laughing so hard at that is because you made the joke about talking about the HMNS as right. the HMS Titanic. Right. And before we were recording, we were talking about Kate Winslet's boobs. Right. <laughs> And I just had in this 3D. image of Kate Winslet in some, like, National Geographic <laughs> show with, like, she's surrounded by 100 African women, all breasts flopping Breast everywhere. <laughs> and there's Kate Winslet. So, you know, hanging, my heart will so go what on. So what you're saying is is that you've never gotten over fourth grade in finding the, the National Geographics, is what you're saying. <laughs> yes, I have. I found the internet. I know He's where porn is. He's moved on to Kate Winslet's 3D boobs on Titanic. <laughs> Titanic. Why, yes. <laughs> All right, but we do have something a little bit serious that we need to talk to talk about. Uh, one of our our co-hosts, in fact, who has yep. stepped in to, to fill in, uh, Jordan Clipston, is having some issues. Uh, what do you know about that, Greg? Or... Jordan Donna. Jordan is in the middle of a custody fight with a former relationship over his daughter. Um, his ex-girlfriend um, is not allowing visitation and everything else, and he is in need of seeking an attorney. So he is basically got a fundraising page because he's found a really Facebook, great attorney. On Facebook, not just a page, but a Facebook fundraising page. Right. He's um, found a really great attorney. Um, but he needs to secure a retainer for this attorney, and he needs to do it now. So um, we'll put the website up on our Facebook page. We'll put it on the blog. Um, and it'll be in the show notes. Yep. So and help Ariel reunite with her dad. Right. And the Facebook page is Help Reunite Ariel, A-R-I-E-L, and Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N. 
and um, he's selling some things like engraved lighters and engraved necklaces to kind of help, you know, to give something back to the people who are helping him. Um, so if you, you know, if you can do it, if you can go and share the page and let your friends know of this fellow skeptic who just needs a little help, um, then uh, we would appreciate that. And I'm sure Jordan would as well. He would do. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you guys. And hopefully he can uh, get the stuff. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it all gets taken care of. Yes. Right. It works out. Okay. Moving on, I just realized that I didn't introduce anybody because we were saying hello too much. Oh, I don't Whoops. think we've done that in a while, actually. Yeah, we have. <laughs> we didn't do it last week. Oh, sure, we did. You said well, we did the we did the homeopathic version of our intro. Oh, there we go. That's true. We did, which is which is apropos because this week is Homeopathic Awareness Week. Uh, this is okay. We're aware of it. Let's move on. Right. <laughs> uh, which is kind of apropos, again, as I said earlier. I'm using the word apropos because I think it makes me sound smarter. It yeah. doesn't. Nope. It's not doing that. Center for Inquiry uh, in Canada, the Committee for the Advancement of Scientific Skepticism, wrote an open letter to Shoppers Drug Mart uh, for selling homeopathic remedies, specifically uh, one for flu called Acillococcinum. Oh, he's still got a cockinum! Yes! We've covered that on the show before. Yes, we have. <laughs> so, a lawsuit has been drawn against Shoppers Drug Mart. It looks like it's, in my handwriting, Shoppers Dry Mart. I don't know. <laughs> but it's it's Shoppers Drug Mart and Boyron. Boyron <laughs> is the people who make uh, Always Got a Cockinum. And... <laughs> And so there's a, a lawsuit uh, against these two because uh, Boyron claims that it has uh, the heart, the ex- extract of the heart and liver of the Barbary or Muscovy duck. But of course, it's 200C dilution, which means that it has a 10 to the 400th chance of having a single atom of that within. So it's just of basically one just- atom from that possible duck liver. Right. Let alone the various chemicals and compounds that go into making your average liver. Yes, and considering it's estimated that there are 10 to the 80th atoms in the known universe, <laughs> 10 to the 400 <laughs> makes it uh, quite a bit less of a chance that anything's happening. So there's a lawsuit uh, alleging 12 violations of the Consumer Protection Act. Very nice. And I imagine that they would... Uh, be able to win that one out it reminds me of there was a movement last a year or two ago from the skeptics in britain to try to get homeopathy out of their local drug stores and i know that there's that movement in australia to try to get alternative medicine to not be taught in colleges and stuff like that where in the united states we have a government agency for the promotion of alternative medicines uh yeah we, sort of it, it it does you're right it does promote uh it's the national center for complementary and alternative medicine That's and right. it's really not a bad website it's a uh, nccam.nah.gov it's not made in comic sans it doesn't have flashing no it's it's fairly you. it's it's fairly uh, official looking uh what i f- find 
funny, however, is if you go into the health info page and you go to the herbs at a glance or herbs at a glance, and there's not pictures of people named Herb. Ha ha ha. Anyway, <laughs> but <laughs> they, they have a list of oh, about 50 different herbs that may f- you may find in herbal supplements, and we'll get to some herbal supplements in a moment. Uh, but what I find very humorous about this is if you click on, say, aloe vera, and we all know aloe vera, it's it's good for cuts and burns, and you want to put it on yourself. Um, but even there, it says what the science says, uh, aloe latex contains strong laxative compounds, blah, 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 blah. Early studies show that topical aloe gel may help heal burns and abrasions. One study, however, showed that aloe gel inhibits healing of deep surgical wounds. Aloe gel has not been shown to prevent burns from radiation therapy. There is not enough scientific evidence to support aloe vera for any of its other uses. And it it lists all these things that aloe is supposed to be good for. So it lists all the other uses that it just said are bunk. Exactly. And if you go through all of these herbs, almost every single one says there's not enough scientific evidence to support <laughs> its use in any of the things that it's supposed to be. Uh, ginkgo uh, biloba, for example. Isn't that supposed to be good for memory? I can't remember. It, yeah, right. It's supposed to be. But one of the problems with ginkgo is if you're taking other medications, it can actually make you bleed more. Uh, and that's one of the things that when you go in for surgery – and doctors specifically ask, are you taking ginkgo? Because if you are, uh, you'll you'll have a chance of uh, not stopping bleeding. Yeah, I think we talked on the podcast a month or two ago about the, the idea that there's so many herbal supplements that actually interact with drug medications because everything's actually chemicals, so it's going to interact in your body somehow. Right. And, it's and it actually it, would make you know antidepressants less effective high blood pressure medicines less effective or might have a negative interaction that would like shut off your kidney or something. Right. And and the reason we're we're bringing that up is because there was a recent study that was released uh, showing that the Aristolochia, I think, or Brigantia or Acerum causes cancer. That's not good. A urinary tract uh, cancer specifically. Well, they were also talking about possible kidney failure and just general kidney diseases, I think. Can cause cancer uh, and kidney damage. And according to the the people who did this study, uh, this has been known for a while. In fact, it's been known uh, that there is maybe a problem since 1969. Yes. With this specific herb. Uh, But they finally did a... A study going back in Taiwan where there's a very, very popular herbal supplement and highly prescribed. And they also have one of the highest rates. Actually, they have the highest rate of, of urinary tract cancer. And kidney disease. And Just chronic kidney, kidney disease. Is, I think it's 12% of their population has kidney disease. And they've seen they – it's, it's, uh, it's fortunately not one of those things where you take one thing – that is made all right i'm not going to say the scientific name for this i'm just going to say that this is in the birthwort plants so i'm not going to make any assumptions that i can (laughs) pronounce stuff if you take something that has some of this birthwort extract in it 
it's not like it immediately kills your kidney, but the more you take, the more likely it is that it's going to affect you. Yeah, it doesn't get pushed out through the system, which is yeah. basically it gets stuck in the kidney and just builds up. I, f- I found the fascinating thing is in studying this chemical, I believe they found that the reason why they found that this was a problem and could go back and say, yes, we've known this for 40, 50 years, is that they actually were able to identify the specific genes that were mutating, that always get mutated by this chemical. I guess this chemical interacts with this one gene in some way specifically. Maybe it flips around a adenine or guadenine or whatever in this one configuration because it fits in the protein well or something like that. And so they were able to find, yes, we know that this the chemical in birthwort does cause this mutation, which leads to these kinds of cancers, these kinds of disease, kidney diseases. Interesting enough, on this particular one, uh, birthwort, which is also the Aristocolochia and Bragantia and Acerum, it's the same same chemical. Right. Um, if you do a quick search on it, you, you can get to very quickly uh, goodnaturalfoods.net and naturalstandard.com. And naturalstandard.com is, I believe, a legitimate site. Um, they're, they're trying to standardize on stuff. But both of those sites say uh, Acerum, which is one of the names of this chemical, <laughs> does not seem well tolerated in humans, except as a homeopathic agent. <laughs> and that brings us right back around. Exactly. Based Arsenic on... is perfectly healthy for you if you take it in homeopathic doses. Yes. And based on the available scientific evidence, no dose has been proven safe or effective. But in general, and this is according to goodnaturalfoods.net, in general, 20 to 30 grains of acerum powder two to three times a day has been used. Uh, not for long-term use. <laughs> so they say that it is neither safe nor effective except in homeopathic agents. And then it says, but, you know, if you're going to do it, go ahead and take two to three, even though it's not safe or effective. It's like saying cocaine is really addictive and horrible for you. Here's the dosage you should use. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? Now, uh, in 2010, the Governmental Accountability Organization did a study of herbal remedies and, uh, well, and supplements. And what they did is they, they went through and they wanted to make sure that the companies that were producing them were producing them safely and that they were following FDA regulations uh, concerning medical supplements. What they found is that, generally speaking, these herbal supplement companies were not, in fact, following the guidelines uh, Scientific it's, American had a write-up on it, as well as if you go to the GAO and look up herbal supplements, you can get the full PDF, 28 pages. Now, there's like um, a recommendation for people to look at, was it the UP? Yeah, to look up the USP, USP verification, label. which is the United States Pharmacopial Convention. And what they do is they discuss herbal supplements with for identity, strength, quality, and purity of medicines, food ingredients, and dietary supplements. So on the back, what you want to do is make sure that the, the, the supplement actually has a USP logo on it, and, which effectively says that they're conforming to what the USP says about the dietary supplement. So that's a, that's a good resource. Uh, again, the NCCAM 
uh, government site is a pretty good resource as far as herbal supplements. But uh, going back to the GAO, just to because I think we had discussed this uh, briefly on a previous podcast, uh, podcast, but I don't recall us talking about this specific part about it, which is uh, they did lab tests to see uh, if the pills contained what they said they contained uh, and see and trying to see if they contained more than what they contained, specifically if they were uh, having toxic metals or, or I don't want to use the word toxins. So not that they had too much birthwort in it, but that they had things in addition to birthwort. Right. Like uh, trace know, elements. Mercury. Of, or, you know. Exactly. Uh, tested for arsenic, cadmium, and they also tested for uh, poisons, minerals, and pesticides. And what but, they found... But not bugs' legs, apparently. Well, that's taken care of by... Uh, <laughs> Everything by, else. Right, regular, regular FDA, FDA standards. They found that 90%, 92% of the tested herbal supplements, and they, they took 40 off the shelf. So just went out, bought 40 different supplements, took them off the shelf, and tested them. And 92% contained trace amounts of lead, and 80% had at least one other contaminant, such as mercury, cadmium, and or arsenic. Okay. Uh-huh. Now, the levels did not exceed what the FDA and U.S. Environmental Protection Agency currently consider hazardous. But it, the thing is that it's very close to <laughs> what they found. So I looked it up, and for example, let's see here. Uh, the echinacea they tested had arsenic at 0 .09 parts per million. Oh. Okay. Uh, arsenic. The FDA has limited arsenic in bottled drinking water to 0 .010 parts per million, and they found 0 .090 parts per million on the um, echinacea pill. Actually, now, two different echinacea pills. To be to be fair, sometimes FDA regulations are overly conservative. And oh, they're very cautious. conservative. And that's the whole point. Yeah, they're very conservative. Because, like, I mean, in in the regards to lead, you have to have. It doesn't require a label unless it's 100 parts per million. Right. Right. Because there was just recently a thing about how um, FDA recently tested 400 lipsticks and found a lot of them had traces of lead in it. So. And there's toxic nail polish they're talking about in the news recently. Yeah. 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 So the, the point is that you really don't, because they are not regulated as a food product, you don't really know what you're getting. Uh, they have to say exactly how much are in the... Uh, if they're going to get that USP label, you mean? They have to say, okay, this is what we're using, and this is what you get, and this is... Yeah, Do they have uh, to say the, what they the think FD, it's... The FDA requires that the following information is included on the labels of all herbal supplements. Okay. First is the name of the herbal supplement. The name and address of the manufacturer or distributor. The complete list of ingredients, either in the supplemental facts panel or listed beneath it, and the serving size, amount, and active ingredient. So those four things, if they aren't on the label, don't take it because you absolutely don't know what you're getting. And for the homeopathic remedies, they're not even putting exactly what's what's in there, like the whole uh, Zycam or... Or right, that magnesium was in there. Yeah, zinc. Zinc, thank you. Too much zinc. And it was causing people to lose their sense their of scent. smell. 
Yeah, smell and taste. Um, so that's rather important. Uh, the other thing is about herbal supplements, uh, talk to your doctor. Talk to a real doctor, not to your <laughs> supplementalist. Not to the guy that's working the counter at GNC. Right. Go if, Especially if you're taking any kind of medication, including aspirin. Turns out, aspirin is medicine. <laughs> uh, I just... I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, right, because it's it's so common. Aspirin, ibuprofen, that's medicine. Uh, that can thin the blood, and it has all kinds of really groovy health benefit effects. Uh, it can also mess you up. And if you're taking herbal supplements, it can have adverse effects with the aspirin and with the ibuprofen. And so. let your doctor know, especially if you were looking at going into surgery. Exactly. That's anything you're taking, people. All right. That's all I have to say about the herbal supplement thing. The point is, of course, that just because it's natural doesn't mean it's good. And, and some herbal stuff does actually have an effect, can be good, but be skeptical. Do your research. Be don't very just, skeptical. Don't just believe the marketing yeah. claims especially if it's you know some ancient chinese remedy because uh, as you heard on uh, another, another podcast this week they were talking about rhinos being basically hunted to extinction extinction because people want the horns for any number of it's idiotic reasons pretty much usually an aphrodisiac uh, well, not just an aphrodisiac. It's supposed to be good for heartburn and yes, well, but yes. I will Headaches you know and, yeah, pecker, anything that's horn. Peppermints are yeah, ginseng <laughs> the same way. So. Pretty much the top of the list of things that get pushed through quickly. I mean, look at how quickly Viagra got pushed through as. Oh sure, well you know men need their boners. <laughs> so speaking about no, no, this doesn't really go in, does it? No, go ahead. I'm just waiting for you to... Talking about boners, somehow we're working that into into fat fat, stories. Fat stories? Speaking of fat sperm... Fat sperm. Uh, What do you got, Greg? (laughs) So, in addition to the several stories that we saw in the news this week about herbal medicines, uh, there have been many, many stories, it seems to me, maybe I'm just... Maybe it's just like when you buy a car, you will suddenly see that car everywhere. Mm. Well, I am a... For for, for cheaper than what you paid for. (laughs) I am not a thin man. But I've noticed that there have been a lot of stories about obesity that I've seen in the news lately. So I thought we'd take a tour through the idea of obesity in the news, going backwards in... Time-wimey kind of thing, starting with adult issues with obesity, going back into childhood, then into in utero, and then... Pre-utero. Then, some for some reason, there's a little baby in a bubble in space, and then you see a monolith. Yeah, let's just move on. Okay, so the first story... Are you saying fat people are monoliths? What? (laughs) (laughs) I thought they were leviathans. So one of the first stories I found uh, this week was, well, maybe not the first stories, but the first story I'm going to talk about is there's a Texas hospital in Victoria, Citizens Medical Center, that's getting, it's basically opening itself up to some lawsuits in that they 
will not hire anybody who is obese. They basically have, I, I guess, on someone's um, job application form, they they ask they either ask for or figure out your body mass index, and if you're above 35 of a BMI, which is not the strict line for obesity, but a few points over the line for obesity. If you're above 35, they won't hire you anymore. So uh, there's some people good. like Peggy Howell of the oh, of the National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance, which has a horrible acronym, NAFA, that basically are saying that 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 you're going to lose possible good workers just for the fact that you're saying fat people can't be hired. And then there's questions of, well, what do you do if someone who's already hired gains weight? Unfortunately, sizeism is not a protected class. Yeah. So pretty much they can't be sued against it. They can try to sue. But a lot of people in these articles talking about this issue say technically it's not illegal because, like you said, it's not a protected class under the Americans with Disabilities Act. But it seems like someone could sue. You but could, it's whether still discrimination. Gonna, yeah, whether or not they're going to be successful in proving discrimination, because it is, they are it saying is. we are discriminating based on this, but that discrimination is not technically illegal yet. And just like people hating atheists, people hating on fat people, that's still... Well, the difference between atheists and uh, fat people is just like uh, black and fat. You can see Right, yeah. atheism you can hide, so it's a little bit more insidious with atheism because they could be right next to you and you'd never know it. But in these, you <laughs> could say that we decided not to hire Bob because we didn't like his resume, didn't think he had enough experience. Where maybe they really didn't hire him because he had a body mass index of forty-five. Right. So, so I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Okay, if you look at it from a financial standpoint, it may make money sense because a larger person may spend more time sick or out on leave they have bad joints and so uh, as far as health concerns they're a greater at a greater risk than a person who is not fat right now, there there has plus, been... you know there's that whole issue of the cafeteria <laughs> <laughs> well there was a recent Cornell University study where they 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 calculated basically they recalculated what they thought the average cost of being obese was healthcare wise and they calculated essentially that an obese person has 2700 more costs in obesity related per, related issues per year than a non-obese person which Adds up to about 190 billion for all the population of the United States, which they're saying accounts for about 20% of healthcare costs. Okay, and well, and then they need to compare that to say something else that that will be sort of similar, like a smoker, right? Because right? a smoker at the beginning doesn't necessarily have any problems, but later in life they have shitload of problems because many of them may get cancer or emphysema or any number of other health-related things that are going to keep them away from work. So someone might be more willing to hire a 20-year-old smoker as opposed to a 70-year-old smoker. Well, yeah. Because they're just about to hit that lovely emphysema stage. (laughs) So it is a problem with people working 
day to day and and being not just socially ostracized but possibly discriminated against for working if you're obese. Now, related to that is there have been um, some studies done by the Brigham um, and Women's Hospital in Boston where they took 21 men and women. I know it's a small amount of people, but they took 21 men and women of various ages and basically kept them in a sleep lab for a whole month. Not coming and going, but they they were in the, the sleep lab for... Somewhere and, between three and five weeks. Okay, and not and not uh, trying to simulate a uh, thing to Mars or anything. They kept these people. No, they were not <laughs> simulating a ride to Mars, but possibly maybe they were doing the same thing that at the same time. But what they did is they, for all intents and purposes, they fucked with their sleep schedule. <laughs> they would keep them up for twenty eight hours at a time, then just let them get five hours sleep. And they would wake them up at odd times. And this was essentially to recreate the conditions of people who work shift work. So maybe you've got a nurse or um, some other shifty, sh- shifty, schedule person. Like a police officer. Thank you, police Fireman. officer. Fireman. Who maybe for three days in a week work the day schedule, but the next day... They move over to the night schedule and they don't have time to sleep. Yeah. What the what they found after studying these people is that after they had spent all this well while they were spending all this time screwing with these people's sleep schedule is that they had they had more blood sugar before and after meals in their bodies. They measured their hormones, took a look at their their appetites. They made they. Their um, pancreases exuded less insulin. It's not like the the it couldn't make insulin anymore, but it was just holding on to the insulin and was not uh, releasing it. The way the um, the study author Orfru Buxton described it is that the pancreas is tired and that it couldn't just it couldn't respond adequately anymore. Essentially, the body couldn't regulate glucose properly. Okay, so we- what they found with this studies is that the disruption in people's sleep schedule makes people more susceptible to becoming obese, forgetting diabetes. When was that study done? Because I, I, I think that they've done something like this before. I guess I, I, don't, I don't think they went that in, in, in most, depth. Most of the studies have they've, – they've done some studies before that have talked about sleep schedules and metabolism and and, mm-hmm. t- and looking at poor sleep patterns at and blood sugar and stuff like that but they've really been kind of short-term studies this has really gone into following people for over a month yeah. and and not just disrupting them for one day yeah. so they saw how consistently their body was it was badly affected by lack of sleep and had whacked out blood sugar levels. Now, fortunately, what they found, the the happy part of the story, is once people were able to catch up on sleep and get back on some sort of regular schedule, their blood sugar levels and their hormone levels returned to normal. So their main advice was, if you have to do shift work, do a consistent shift work for a long period of time. So if you have to do the graveyard shift, 
do it for three weeks at a time and consistently do it and treat that at, that as if it were your day. Eat during the night and actually, as hard as it is, it is in this modern world with you know Colbert Report reruns and all that, actually sleep during the day. <laughs> what does that have to do with Colbert? I, not much. <laughs> I was just... <laughs> Thought I might get a chuckle out of that one. Apparently, I was wrong. Well, you got the chuckle uh, just out of the confusion. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because you had both of us going. WTF? He is, he is drawing a comparison of which we are not following. And we're the ones that are drinking. <laughs> <laughs> so they kind of talked about this as being kind of a social jet lag, where people were screwing with their own sleep schedules because of their outside activities. And 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 it's Which not is what ne- I do. it's not necessarily that s- sleeping badly is going to cause you to ab- be obese, but sleep problems would mean you may not exercise as much, right. which means you don't have the energy to exercise, and then you all you feel like eating is the the easy stuff that you can throw in the microwave or something like that. You know, yeah. some cheesy poof recipe with. Sausages I, I'm, or I'm well familiar with this. I'm also yes. familiar with the fact that for those people that, that do work out or, or want to start working out, because uh, I have that problem when I get really tired, the best time for me to force myself to go work out is precisely when I don't want to. Not when I'm sore, but when I'm just sitting there and I'm bored and I'm sitting on the couch and it's like, oh, I just don't want to go. That's actually the best time to get up and even just uh, like a mile or just start with push-ups or jumping jacks or something just to get some activity because that gets the uh, everything and the blood going. flowing and the yeah. oxygen in yeah. and I know in my case that sometimes I have insomnia in in that I it takes me a while to get to sleep so it mm-hmm. ends up I'm going to sleep at two in the morning I have to wake up at seven or eight o'clock to go to work yeah so I'm getting less than my optimum hours of sleep or whatever. And that means the next day I'm really tired when I get home, so all I want to do is lie down and take a nap, not get on the elliptical machine. Right. Which means that I don't have the, the – so then I'm tired, it's, and when I wake up, it's 9 o'clock at night. Instead of making the fish and vegetables, I'll make a pizza bagel or something yeah. because it's quick and easy to make. Yeah. And that maintains my not-thin-person – leaning category <laughs> well it was the same with me i mean i went from basically grad school into to full-time work and in grad school you don't eat right because i mean you spend your entire days with your nose in a book yeah. hey to tell you this you'll be the exception that proves the rule i will <laughs> you know Actually, well it, it depends on what you're doing <coughs> how long you're planning to take right <laughs> Because I, I, mean, I know, I know my, my, my brother's, uh, when he was working on his master's anyway, not necessarily his PhD, uh, well, he doesn't have his PhD, but he was working on his master's. I mean, they seem to have a lot, shitloads of time. Maybe depending on the school, but I mean, in my master's program, I read about 750 pages a week. In my master's program, I was reading about 1,000 pages a week. So Yeah. But we won't, we won't get into the engineering versus... Um, right, social sciences. Yeah. But, and then I... <laughs> Which turned, would be a shitload of reading versus a lot of doing, you know... Hands running, on. You know, running tests over three days. So Fiddling just, with a soldering iron. Yeah. Right. But then I went into a job <laughs> exactly. where I don't eat on a regular schedule anymore either. So... Yeah. So what their or advice... Or crap food like yeah. potato chips. <laughs> the, the craft table type stuff. 
So what they suggested is that it's not just diet and exercise that are a pillar of good health and losing weight and maintaining a stable weight, also making sure you get enough sleep. Hmm. And they talked about finding out what out what your hours are, because not everybody needs the stereotypical eight hours of sleep. Some That's people true. can do perfectly fine on seven hours. Some people need nine hours because they're just bodies are built that way. So, and some people can get by with five. Yeah, figure out what your hours are that you're not cranky and snacky and don't have the energy to exercise the next day. See, I, I can do three to four hours of sleep, but I need a nap in the afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> you can do it once, but you can't do it repeatedly just those three or four hours of sleep. And if you do that, that ends up getting you getting sick at a atheist or skeptic convention like I always do. So when you go to TAM, <laughs> get sleep. Eat <laughs> well. Eat your vegetables. Okay, first off, you're in Vegas. There is no eating well in Vegas. No, there's, there is eating well in Vegas. When you go to yeah, the buffet, have some melon. <laughs> and not the boobs that are walking around trying to get you free drinks. Yes. <laughs> so this is another story where it's showing how vulnerable our society is to becoming obese. Yeah. It's where, quite easy. Um, you you have possibility of just having a bad sleep schedule can lead to obesity in, in bringing in all these other factors, but your sleep also has the problem of it fucks with your ability to deal with the sugars in your blood. So it's not just leading to bad behaviors. It's also dealing with your your body can't process the sugar properly, and that can lead to diabetes and obesity. Another factor that they've recently found, they being scientists in lab coats and beakers and stuff. Capital S, science. Exactly. There's um, been a recent meta-analysis done by uh, lead author Struan Grant, at the Center for Applied Genomics, Genomics? Genomics. Genomics, at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, where they did a meta-analysis of 14 studies that had somewhere around 5,500 obese kids and about 8,000 non-obese kids. And um, they, they basically looked at all these kids as, chi- as children, so... It generally, they were between the ages of two and five, and they were able, they were they tracked these kids and found out you know which kids were became susceptible to being childhood obese because most children I know in general have a lot of energy, want to run around all the time, want to play with everything, and that's good. And we keep them in chairs for eight to nine hours a day. day. Well, not by the not necessarily when they're four years old. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but, but starting at the age of five. Yeah. Anyway. But what they ahead. found in these studies of two to five-year-olds, they also were able to look at their genetic variations. And they found that there were a couple of chromosome gene variants that were associated with being susceptible to childhood obesity. So more obese kids or a lot of the obese kids at a significant level had these two gene switches on or whatever, these variants in in genes, than the thin kids did. In previous studies, they had looked at the genetic factors 
in ex- extreme obesity in children, where this one they were just looking at common obesity. Husky. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they essentially found these genes that were you were more likely to just be overweight and and slightly obese hmm. in in kids, and and they they acknowledge the fact that it's not that these two genes cause obesity or that these are the only genes involved in obesity, but that there's a, there's a correlation there. And with genetics, it's mostly one way (laughs) when you're looking at causality that if you see genetics and something else associated, it's probably the genetics that caused that something else, not obesity causing a gene mutation. So they found these genes in most obese kids, but they also realized that it's not just the genes that are causing kids to be obese. No, the, the, the genes probably mark a predilection towards. They predispose them, yeah. yes. So what, what we also have is the Seattle Children's Research Institute. That it's actually awesome. the Seattle Children's Research Institute. So Brian Salins... Um, led this study where they essentially just studied the ge- geographic information of the Seattle and San Diego areas and were able to classify um, nutrition environments and physical activity environments where it, nutrition environments were where there's availability for supermarkets and how high is the concentration of fast food uh, restaurants. Physical activity environments were defined along the lines of that you could walk places in your neighborhood, you didn't have to drive, and that there are parks nearby where there's activities or possibilities for children to do something. And what they found, which I know has been found in other studies before, is that these neighborhoods that had bad physical activity and poor nutrition areas had a higher rate of obesity. There were 16% obesity in those poor, envi- poorly nutritional and badly physical environments, as opposed to 8% of children's being obese in environments that had good supermarkets and parks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So in addition to that other study where they found that some kids are predisposed to obesity because of their genes, the other problem is where you have neighborhoods where you can't get healthy food and that you're not in an environment where you're encouraged to do any sort of physical activity. Yeah, because, uh, for example, my, my neighborhood, we we have sidewalks that go up and down this street, but once you get out to the main street, it, I've been here six years, and it wasn't until last year that they finally put in uh, a walk path uh, that goes... On the main street. On the on the main street. And so, we, you know, I like to walk places. Right. And then, granted, I don't have any stores... Uh, particularly within walking distance, it's uh, the nearest one's at least a mile away, uh, which isn't too bad. But in the summer heat, it sucks. But there was no Safeway to do it, and it, it even then, no, it, we don't have Safeway in San Antonio, not anymore. Uh, but you, but to get there, you'd have to traipse through all of this overgrowth on on the ground, and it, it gets beaten down by the students, you know, because there's an elementary school near, so they get to beat <laughs> it down. But you still, you know, you just have. You have to go through that, and that's just no fun. Well, yeah, don't get me off on a rant on Texans and sidewalks. <laughs> yes, let's yeah, please I'm the don't. same way. I, I, I hate it. Because, Tex- first of all, Texans build their sidewalks like half a foot 
too narrow for two people to walk side by side. Right. So you can't make romantic walks along the sidewalks because their sidewalks are too freaking small. And then, and then, <laughs> you have fucking Texans parking their cars on sidewalks, leaving their leaf bags on sidewalks, treating sidewalks as if they're not actually a place for people to walk on. And then when you see people in your neighborhood out walking their dog, fortunately on a leash, or jogging, or walking their freaking child with a stroller, they're not walking on the sidewalk, they're walking in the street. Texans don't understand sidewalks. And it pisses me off. I thought you said don't get you started on the rent. I'm the one who said that. I said don't get him started. You didn't get me started on the rent. I got me started on the rent, and I do apologize. No, that's fine. But it's, it's accurate... Particularly San Antonio. There's other places in Texas. There's, actually, there's places in San Antonio where that's not the case. Good. Uh, but you have to pay for the privilege. I was going to say, it's, <laughs> to me, this is more of a, a classism yeah, argument absolutely. than it is a health argument. Yeah. What? Yes. What? No. What? Well, the classism <laughs> that has become, health has become a classism issue as yeah, well because as... Yeah, because who can afford, who can afford to... to Fix the roads in the neighborhood and to build sidewalks in the neighborhood. And have healthy restaurants right. as opposed to fast food restaurants, have supermarkets available that... Right. Well, fast food restaurants are cheaper than regular restaurants and therefore exactly. they're going to go where people can afford it. So it is some of a class issue. It's very much a class issue. And another thing that's class issue and that pisses skeptics off... Mm-hmm. It's the best transition I can do is there's been some studies recently um, in um, the May issue of pediatric <laughs> pediatrics ah the May issue of pediatrics where they have found they've they've basically studied approximately a thousand mother child pairs. And they found... Why did they leave the fathers out of it? Because. (laughs) The mother-child pairs, they found that mothers who were obese were 67% more likely to have a child who was on the autism spectrum than, than children of mothers who were not obese. That's a very interesting correlation. Yes. They also found not just 67% more likely to have autism, but they were twice as likely to have some sort of developmental learning disorder. I was going to say, and also the reason why it's probably not fathers and children is that... There's no fat sperm. No. (laughs) There might be. We don't know that. Something like 10% of children born in wedlock are actually not of both parents. Yeah, but this doesn't ex- explain Jenny McCarthy. Well, <laughs> they were not saying you said that fat sperm, not fat head. <laughs> they were not saying that all autistic children have obese okay, mothers. So, well, absolutely, because that, that's that's obviously not true. So they're saying I'm, that obesity was and and also diabetes because they were kind of looking at two. So, you know, diabetes is different because you can be thin and still be diabetic. Yes. But they they kind of were studying both at the same time, and so they found this association, a correlation between obesity and well, 
Diabetes, not so much. There was an increased risk, but it wasn't statistically significant. So it was mostly okay. obesity being correlated with having autism child, children or children on the autism spectrum. Hmm. And they, they realized that it was not necessarily a direct causation because of the fact that you can be thin and have an autistic child. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're saying it, it may be kind of that and other other environmental factors may be kind of similar to similar enough to each other that they may be part of a third larger factor. Hmm. So, you know, there there's there's been recent studies that have found that there have been genetic links to autism lately. It, it seems that they're finding both genetic and environmental links to, to autism, So, it, which makes sort of sense because there's so much shit going on to get from a sperm and an egg in nine months to right. a, a, a valid baby out the vagina. <laughs> As you can stamp and say, this is human. That's such a beautiful way to put it. But what they were saying is that um, they were discussing the possibilities of what obesity might, how obesity might result in autistic children. And they said one possible culprit was that there are inflammatory proteins that are produced by fat cells. And that some of these of inflammatory proteins can get through the um, the baby mommy barrier in the placenta, and so, and those proteins can have an effect on brain development. Hmm. So there's a possibility that I don't know if these are stress hormones because they're talking about inflammatory. I don't know enough bio- biology to know this. Yeah. Well, we we know that that hormones can like. Uh, uh... Well, I say we know. Some of the the retrospective studies show that during times of war, after the war, more babies are born who are gay, for okay. example. If you right. read, oh, curse, what was the book? I can't remember the book. So there are a lot of in utero effects. Yeah. Well, any any hormone, any uh, surge of adrenaline or, or anything yeah. is going to have they've, an effect. I mean, they found that, what is it? Uh, oldest is it oldest boys or second boys are more likely to be gay or something like that. So there are a lot of in utero effects. So maybe some of these these proteins that are produced by fat cells and obviously in obese people, especially obese mothers, there are a lot more of these cells to re- release a lot more of these proteins. So that may mean that there's some exposure to this from children that in that has an effect. So that's one possibility. But the interesting thing that they were talking about in relation to obesity specifically, in that if a mother is obese, she may be eating a lot of sugary, high fat stuff, whatever, and that causes the body to produce a lot of insulin. Mm-hmm. And some of that insulin can get into a child, but also... So that may affect, but even if a, if a child is exposed to that high level of glucose in the blood, the child themselves may start producing too much of their own insulin hmm. and, and essentially get, you know, a chronic exposure to too much insulin can affect brain development in and of itself, but also making more insulin requires more oxygen. So if you're making more of this insulin to respond to this high sugar level, 
either because of diabetes or obesity, you're using so much oxygen to produce the insulin that you have less to feed the brain. Hmm. So there, I mean, this is all just speculating on the possibility of what could affect the child's brain, but where it all comes down to is that it's best if you're a mother to not be as obese. I know there are lots of other side effects. There's a possibility of if you need a C-section, that could be a problem, or, you know, you have trouble walking, you don't get enough exercise or whatever that can cause issues, other issues with your pregnancy. It's just better to work on your own weight issues and health issues before you have a child. So there's one issue. (laughs) But the other issue is that it's not vaccines! (laughs) It's not vaccines causing autism. This is an in-utero effect that they found. So for all these reasons, all of what we've been talking about for the last 45 minutes, whatever the hell it's been. Seems like, hasn't it? (laughs) Our reasons to get sleep, you know, get some exercise and and but but the whole key is if you want to lose weight, the best way, the most efficient way and the most long-lasting way is to eat less and exercise more. And we discussed this before we started recording. Let's let's say you're overweight and you want to lose some weight. What's the best thing that you can do? To start losing weight. Without changing anything, the best thing you can do is just start doing more exercise. And we're not talking. Without changing something? Sorry, without changing your eating habits, yes. But but this is not a huge change, right? The important thing is to start small. Right, yeah. We're not talking, you know, uh, start running. We're not talking uh, sign up for a marathon. Just walk around the block. Or. Uh, jumping jacks are probably, I mean, if you're a heavy, heavily overweight, you have to do something that gets, the whole thing is, is getting aerobic exercise. Take a walk with the family after dinner. Walk right. the dog walk around the, the block. Dog. Uh, or just walk around the block and say hi to your neighbors for once. I don't know. Uh, oh, but it doesn't, doesn't have to, to be that. a mile. It doesn't have to be, you know, 200, 200 yards or even 100 yards. Just that's something that you haven't done before. Yeah, and so that's going to burn calories. Add more calorie burning, yes. to your normal routine, right? And don't and just make sure that you don't add more calories. Don't go home and, and eat something because oh well, I did some exercise and eat something to make up the calories. It's a very dangerous thing. Yes. Ma- ma- maintain your intake, but you know, kind of change your output, and then you can start lessening. You know, don't have. I don't know. Change from from having a Twinkie to having an apple instead. It's about the same amount of calories or the main same amount of volume in the stomach, but you get better calories from the apple than you do from the Twinkie. At lunch, don't drink soda. Drink water with your yeah. lunch and just leave it at that. And actually, if you just cut out sodas altogether and start drinking water, that makes a huge difference because a soda, even the diet soda is, what, 60 calories. And have a lot of salt in them. Yeah. Sodium is bad. Uh, well, a lot of sodium is bad for you. Sodium in general is not so bad for you. But uh, I'm not a nutritionist. But the, but the whole point is eat less, exercise more. And if you can't eat less, exercise more. Yes. 
And if you can't exercise, eat less. <laughs> yes, and, the, and and like you said, you got to start small with those little steps, and and starting with one can help you lead to the other. Absolutely. So you know, having a little bit more energy because you're not weighing yourself down with fizzy sodas can get you. All right, you know what? I will get on the treadmill for five minutes, even five minutes. Because that means that five minutes, a cup, you know, a few times a week will lead to ten minutes a few times a week. Yep, because you will be able to do it. You'll feel feel a bit better. I am I am a heavy man. I don't even want to say what my body mass index is because it's scary. Yeah, it's scary how is. much weight the body mass index, which some people have have said is not maybe the greatest index. It, it's not, but it is. But it is it's an a, index. It's a it's a rule of thumb that helps you figure it out. Yes. Um. It, it's scary to me how much weight I would have to lose to just be overweight. <laughs> so it is such a daunting mountain to to climb yeah. that you feel like, oh, well, there's no point. I'm going to die in 40 years anyway. Might as well eat the damn Twinkies. <laughs> I, I have been you know. at a point where I felt years ago I needed to start doing something just so I didn't feel like I got winded getting out of a chair. Right. <laughs> and that can be a huge motivation to just do something and that something can help. And and I, you know, I'm the kind of person who prides myself on I never smoked because I knew that it didn't make sense to smoke and that it's bad for you and smoking is unhealthy and it, <laughs> it hurts your lungs and it's a, you know, you can and get that's heart great. attacks yeah. and stuff. But that but, Twinkie, though. <laughs> yeah. Especially but when they deep fry. I realize that my skeptical blind spot is my eating habits, my weight. Huh. And it's really tough to get beyond that. We'll help you. Thank you. Right. You're going to smack now, the Twinkie out of my hand yeah, next we'll, time. You see if, I, if I see you eating the Twinkie, absolutely. <laughs> Fuck you, Greg. How dare you we're be gonna, eating that? We're going to hook you up to little electrodes. Sap. He may start liking him. <laughs> Please don't clockwork orange me. <laughs> What is the lightning round? In a in a hundred words or less. Fuck. Why not that kind of a podcast? <laughs> there was an exclamation, not an explanation. <laughs> okay. The lightning round. This is where we gather up those articles that, that we really kind of like or have some interest in, but, you know, not really have, you know, five or ten minutes to talk about. So we take 90 seconds and discuss it, and then we move on to the next topic. Yeah, possible mulligan of 30 seconds if Donna allows us. Yeah, yeah well, no, well, I if, don't. If given last week a little bit more. <laughs> Well, we improvise. That's what we've learned in the last year, how to right. go with the flow. And you're telling me to shout now, aren't you? Yeah. Our eyes say yeah. Okay, I'll be quiet. <laughs> I'm fine. It's in okay. that case, I think he should start. <laughs> so, Greg, what do you have on board for us tonight? Well, the first... Oh, shut up! <laughs> <laughs> That doesn't breathe. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> well, now that Gary has scarred my psychological soul, I'm going to talk about two psychology stories. 
The first of which um, is really kind of falls into the well-duh category, which is a recent study done um, and will be published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology suggests that homophobes develop such anti-gay attitudes because they're repressing their own same-sex desires. Huh. They, in, you know, people who identify as straight but show a strong attraction to the same sex tend to be more homophobic than others. <laughs> yes. Very kind of obvious. obvious, very kind of well-duh. <laughs> Not quite as well-duh is, an, is uh, the United Nations has unveiled the first ever World Happiness Report. In, <laughs> so they kind of looked at different nations and different factors in what makes people happy. First of all, apparently if you live in a northern European, Scandinavian-ish country, Denmark, Finland, Norway, and Iceland, you're more likely to be happy. Those damn Danes. But if you can't move to those countries... There is some effect in happiness between your in your economic situation, but there's only so far that your wealth can bring you happiness. But what they really go down to the simp- the simple factors that lead to happiness are this the the everyday stuff of friends, family, and regular sex Yay. and short work commutes. Ooh, he did vibrato that time. Uh, indeed I did. Okay, well, I'm going to talk about girls who, um, being are, girls are on film. What is it with Duran Duran with me tonight? Dirty girls. <laughs> yes, dirty girls. Actually, doctors are encouraging um, mothers that have young girl that have young girls to send them out to play in the dirt more often because they believe it will raise the immune system. Um, what they have found is, dirty, is that... healthy girls. Yep, pretty much. Um, that girls that play in dirt and get exposed to things like parasites, different microbial elements in the dirt, have a better immunity and suffer less from allergies such as hay fever and um, autoimmune diseases. Oh, very um, cool. Because, like, women that are infected with... Is it with, statistically significant, then? Well, women are infected with uh, the autoimmune disease lupus outnumber their male counterparts by about 9 to 1. Oh. Right, so what, these little girls are kept inside in sterile conditions. They're not oh. exposed as much, Such. so they develop autoimmune overreactions. Yes. Like, there's more women who have MS, that auto, that autoimmune disease as well. Right. Um, the guy in charge of the study, uh, Dr. Aoi Misushima from the Providence Medical Groups, explains that Kids used to spend an average of two to three hours playing outside every day, but the influence of television and video games are forcing kids to spend the majority of their time indoors. And since that time, they've seen autoimmune diseases on the rise and ding. And I'm not going to call them all again. So. <laughs> all right. I wouldn't say it forces them inside. Just makes it a funner easier. for them to be inside. Yeah, easier. Funner. Funner. Well, funner. More fun? So, Gary, what's your topic? Well, we we have to ask the question. <laughs> it is the question of the day. Oh, is it? So, Gary, do you like to drink your own urine? Do you find it necessary? No, but I do it anyway, because it's sterile, and I like the taste. And it turns out, 
It's a big frickin' lie. We have been lied to by popular media and by scientists and medical people all over the world. Me fail English? That's impossible. <laughs> so according to ScienceDaily.com, researchers have determined that bacteria are present in the bladders of some healthy women, which discredits the common belief that normal urine is sterile. Uh, it was uh, published in the April issue of the Journal of Clinical Microbiology. Basically, what they did is they women who were undergoing uh, gynecological exams uh, had urine samples collected uh, through a catheter or a thin needle inserted into the abdomen uh, while they were under, under anesthesia. So it's not like... Ugh. Uh, shocking. And then they, <laughs> I wish I'd gotten a picture of that. They they used the uh, the urine was analyzed using DNA de- detection methods as opposed to just the regular methods they'd been using, like and, under a microscope. Right. And they discovered that there were in fact bacterial cultures inside the urine. That's not good. It is not good. Well, it's it's nice to know. So they have to they have to kind of change the whole idea of what the whole thing is. But originally they were peeing into the cup and the whole thing, which have their own problems because then you get all kinds of bacteria from the hands and stuff like that. So urine may not necessarily be sterile. <laughs> okay, Greg, what do you have for us next? Speaking of things that come out of the penis, fat sperm. Kind of. <laughs> There's a new procedure um, that's being studied um, called RISUG, Reversible Inhibition of Sperm Under Guidance. Now, it sounds, yeah, R-I-S-U-G. It's a, it's a short procedure where they cut a very small hole in the testicles. Huh. The, the doctor will pull out the vas deferens, huh. which is how the sperm gets out of the testicles to the penis. And they'll inject a couple chemicals, styrene, mylaic, anhydride, and dimethyl sulfoxide. And these two chemicals interact to form a polymer that coats the vas deferens. Now, it's not blocking the vas deferens and being a contraceptive this way. The These chemicals basically have a pattern of polarization that as the sperm passes through the vas deferens, the photoelectric effect tears the sperm apart. Good gracious. So what it means is you are literally firing blanks. And this is this is a really, really cheap procedure. And they're saying the chemicals involved in this are less expensive than the syringe used to inject the chemicals. Wow. And this this will last for about 10 years, and then the chemicals will break down, but they can also inject a very simple connect, uh, combination of chemicals to break down this chemical Mulligan. and allow you to have children all you want. Oh. This is really awesome male contraception. So are, so is, are they going to give another posthumous... Uh, <laughs> Uh, what are those things called where they, they give the award? Oh, damn it. The Darwin the bl- Award? The, no, mm-hmm. the blowing up guy, but it's a big science. It, he got it for the photo fucking electric f- effect. Ignoble Nobel award? Prize? The Nobel Prize. Are they going to give uh, Einstein another Nobel Prize for the photoelectric effect for which he received his original Nobel Prize, but now... For uh, keeping people from being pregnant. No, because you can't get a Nobel Prize if you're dead. Hmm. 
But beyond that, this is awesome science. It's, it's and no cool. hormones involved, no buildup of sperm in your testicles so magnet, causing bad things. it magnetizes the sperm when they they blow apart because they're polarized? Yeah. It, it, so it makes them, what, Republican and Democrat, and they can't <laughs> handle it? Their little bitty brains can't <laughs> handle it? They go, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah, sure, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> I find it amazing that this can be 100% effective, but they found that so far. It's yeah. a quick and easy procedure, and then in, in a few days, you have 10 years of shooting blanks. Wow. What happens? Well, okay. I'm sure it's it's a it's a new procedure. So what happens if you suddenly decide that within those 10 years, I suppose they go in there with a scrub brush? No, uh, it only takes one other injection of water and baking soda to wash out the gel. And within <laughs> two to three months... So you, you can do it at home! <laughs> you've got healthy fat sperm again. Okay. So if you're... Um, what's the word for sticking a rod up a man's penis? Fully. Um, what? Catheter. Catheterization. No, well, there's catheter. Isn't it a, a sound? Is what it's No, it's called? not pegging. It's something like that. Anyway. Oh, are you talking about the sexual thing? There's a sexual fetish of guys getting... Oh, a, yeah, 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 yeah. We're not even going there. Needles. <laughs> Stop! <laughs> to the Google. Make sure your needles aren't coated in baking soda. <laughs> then you can still be... Because that's common. Yeah. Oh, no, I dropped the syringe in the baking soda. What the hell was that vat of baking soda well, doing no, it's, it's not injection needles. It's like knitting needles. <laughs> I don't understand it, but some All right, people... moving on. Hey, what's next? Don't look it up on Google. <laughs> They're tracking. Well, if you're above 18, you can. Oh, okay. <laughs> Hold on. I got to... I... If we have any below 18 listeners, we apologize right now. Yeah. I think we've said it will harm them. Fuck shit, cotton cock bullocks. Motherfucker tits. Seven words you can't say. Yes. Well, there's that too. Cock shit, damn fit. Balls, motherfucker Fuck shit, tits. Cunt cock motherfucker and tits or yep. something. Yeah. Sorry, I lost my article. I'm sorry about that. Where, I hear, I hear they where have a pill has my for that article now. gone? Okay, oh, I'm where, ready. Oh, where could it be? Okay, go ahead. I got it. Go ahead. <laughs> Anytime. No, no, it's fine, Donna. Go ahead. So, do you like to drink your own urine, too? <laughs> no, but, you know, speaking of, you know... Somebody, things you know, that come out of the penis? Things that come out of the penis. I'm sure that this guy... What is this, Jeopardy? <laughs> well, I'm... You know. I'll take, I'll take things, things that come out of the penis audio clues, Alex, for 800. <laughs> uh, what is syphilis? <laughs> well, you know what? Here's the thing. I wouldn't... Would not be surprised if this man actually suffers from syphilis. Okay. Because Charles Manson was once again denied a parole. Yeah. Oh, yay. Oh, yay. yay. <laughs> I thought him? He'd, be, he'd be a, a good member of the community by now. Because well, he, isn't, isn't that what uh, prison is for, is rehabilitation? Oh. No, he looks like a grizzled old prospector now. Sorry, Tom. <laughs> Pretty much ahead. he does. Um, <laughs> Charles Manson, the 77 gray-bearded man, did not attend his own hearing where the parole board... Parole, parole, parole board? board Longitude That he had shown no efforts to rehabilitate himself and would not be eligible parole for another 15 years. 
which would put him at 92. Mm-hmm. So, when, 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 at what point do we start feeling sorry for the guy and let him out? We do. You know, because that always happens. When he dies and he has to Except sell off Hannibal. Neverland Ranch. Okay. <laughs> yeah, when he went in, Michael Jackson wasn't even born, was he? He's still so black. But here's the thing. He even refused to meet with his um, attorney. Did you oh, know? really? Yeah. Oh, so he and Zimmerman have the same attorney now? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Not Roy Zimmerman, the other Zimmerman from Florida. <laughs> well, he, he like gave an interview or made a statement saying that I'm I'm a very dangerous man, and the parole board said, yep. Yep, you are. <laughs> there you go. So, you know, you had to score one for, you know, the, the parole board just gathering up, you know, the, the obvious there. I mean, it doesn't take long to be captured. Is, is he obvious. dangerous, really, though? I mean, the guy's just bloody well insane. <laughs> as far as I know, not like I study him or anything. That's it, you know. He got denied. Yay! Yay. Good for California. <laughs> no more kidnappings or killings by Manson or his followers. So I guess that leaves me. Yes, that would leave Lonely me. TheTelegraph.co.uk uh, had a breathless announcement of a universal cancer vaccine developed <gasps> in which they stated preliminary results from early clinical trials have shown the vaccine can trigger an immune response in patients and reduce levels of disease. Uh, scientists have, however, found a molecule. What do we mean? I'm just reading from the article. Scientists have found that a molecule called MUC1, which is found in high amounts on the surface of cancer cells, can be used to help the immune system detect tumors. And uh, Emucin generated a robust and specific immune response in all patients, which was observed after only two to four doses of the vaccine out of a maximum of 12 doses. In some of the patients, preliminary signs of clinical efficacy were observed. How many patients do you think there were? (gasps) Ten! Ten patients! That's a preliminary and they, study. And they uh, suffered from multiple myeloma, which is a form of blood cancer. So one specific type of cancer. Now, what's interesting is they're claiming that the cancer cells, all cancer cells, uh, contain high levels of MUC1. And here's an interesting, I'm going to take a slight mulligan. Uh, here's an interesting sentence that makes no sense. Uh, in, in their breathlessnesses, they wrote this, sen- this sentence. Cancer cells contain high levels of MUC1 as it is thought to be involved helping tumors grow. What does that mean? They think this chemical helps tumors. Right. That's what you get out of it after you realizing that they screwed up the sentence. But it says cancer cells contain high levels of MUC1 as it is thought to be involved helping tumors grow, is what it says. Well, a lot of times these, these papers have a lot of jargon and medically sounding stuff like there there was that there was that one guy who submitted like a sociology paper that he put into just he filled it with jargon and his sociological study was to see how many people were actually going to call him on the fact that this article was just full of bullshit and jargon right yeah and then he published the months yeah, later. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. automatically created, I think, as well. It was an AI type of uh, type of. And I ask. Uh, it starts with an S. Can't remember what it's called off the top of my head. Anyway, uh, it'd be pretty cool. But they're already pushing this as a miracle drug, as often newspapers do. Ten people at 
and one specific one type cancer. of cancer, and they're saying it's a universal cancer. Now, it's interesting if it's true, and I don't take the Telegraph to be a uh, good source of uh, scientific truth by any message. Well, it's not, not the Daily Mail. But if M- MUC1 is involved in a lot of cancers, and you can trick or th- which is ignored by the body, according to the article, uh, and you can get the body to start attacking large uh, amounts of this, which would be where the cancer cells are, then that might be cool. And you can get break it down and see so you got to make sure that Or that... maybe that'll just spread the cancer to all the rest of the body. Who knows? But you also got to make sure that that chemical that they're targeting that they're only targeting the cancerous concentrations. Exactly. That this is something a body, is, body. Can, can produce. Yeah. Then it might be something natural that you don't want to kill off everything that has that. Chemical. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it is naturally produced in the body. Uh, although it doesn't say what what the uh, body does with it. So that's that's my lightning round. Oh. All right. Uh, there was one last thing that we wanted to talk about. Listen there. Well, coming up this next week in the United States of America, the good old U.S. of oh, this A. Week? Um, April 17th oh, in 17th. the United States 17th. is tax day this year. Yeah, because 15th is on a Sunday. Oh, so funny they, how tax day follows uh, World Homeopathic Week, Awareness Week. <laughs> and traditionally, tax day is April 15th, which is the day the Titanic sank. Ah, so we have a couple interesting anniversaries, but I, I don't think people are worried about the Titanic sinking around tax time, but there's been a um, recent study done by the University of Toronto Sunnybrook Research those Institute. Damn Canadians. Yes. Canadians those, studying the Americans. Yeah, that is a little odd, but they went through um, traffic accident reports and found that the days surrounding tax day, there were a higher amount of automobile crashes than there were in other days not surrounding tax day so kind of like <laughs> okay you have the like the 10 days right before tax day right had a higher incidence of car accidents so there was definitely between, a correlation between tax day and accidents yeah, between 1980 and 2009 so uh-huh. multiple years they said there's a lot of accidents around tax day as opposed to the five days after tax day or the five days before the ten days. Okay. So if you compare the five days before or the five days after versus the ten days of tax period, there's more accidents that, that period. Huh. Well, that's interesting. A lot of angry drivers, I would imagine. Yeah, so people were saying there other factors might be lack of sleep, that people are hassled and that they are not paying attention because they're distracted by taxes or something like that. And, you know, there are other risks like... Other parts of the year, like around the Super Bowl, there's more accidents just because there's more people out on the road and there might be drinking. Or the 4th of July or New Year's Day. So apparently tax day, which is coming up, is one of those days. So in addition to our message of exercise and be safe and research all your herbal medicines before you take any and then lose weight appropriately, (laughs) be careful when you're driving around tax day. Yep, especially if on a motorcycle. So thanks for joining us. Uh, it's been Gary Lawn, Donald Swafford, and Greg Perrine. And this uh, has been the beginning of our second year of the Skeptic Wire. Yay! Yay! Happy Cheers. anniversary. Bye-bye. The Skeptic Wire podcast theme music is by Oscar Lawn with guest mandolin by Greg Perrine. If you've enjoyed listening to The Skeptic Wire, leave a review on iTunes or leave us a voice message via the Podposted app for iPhone. 
Friend us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at The Skeptic Wire. Follow our blog at skepticwire.blogspot.com or send us an email, skepticwire at gmail.com. You've been listening to The Skeptic Wire. sitting there looking at you sideways going I see fat people (laughs) (laughs) I think that we should just take the seriousness out of tonight's episode lock it away in a closet we'll bring it out next week I think we should take the seriousness shove it in a bag and beat it with sticks maybe that was a little insensitive but I don't like people smoking around me so I'm a little (laughs) snippy that way (laughs) Yeah, well, I don't like people being fat around me. <laughs> well, then I guess, as I was just saying, then I guess both of us should leave. <laughs> Gary's just going to be sitting here all on his own saying, all my own. I am the skeptic wire. Listen to me talk. Listen to me. You may listen to my strident voice. <laughs> his thin and strident voice. My thin strident voice. <laughs> my thin weedy strident voice obey obey apparently not only is he thin he's turning into a Dalek <laughs> damn that Darth Vader uh, neck crushing thing doesn't uh, work well that's because he's supposed to go like that you're going like that well I was doing the neck crushing thing Oh. Not, I'm squishing your hip. No, he doesn't like that, doesn't he? Doesn't. No, he. Oh, I guess so. Boy, this is this. This makes great podcasting. <laughs> You're gonna have a lot of stuff to cut out this week, Gary. Congratulations. Our, our, our end sequence is gonna be half the podcast. Jeez. <laughs>